the epistle of Titus. We'll title this, The Call to Stimulate Faith in God's Chosen. And that refers in chapter 1, so we are actually going to start this morning in chapter 1. The Call to Stimulate Faith in God's Chosen. Father, we ask for the ministry of the Spirit of God upon our minds and hearts, that we would hear the word of the Lord. And for this we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you thought about the fact that a good portion, especially of the New Testament, is to churches and are to pastors or pastor teachers or elders who will be teaching in churches. And there is a consistent emphasis on sound doctrine, uh, who God is, a strong emphasis on who we are in him, a strong emphasis on the way of salvation. And then a number of the epistles then conclude with several chapters on, well, here's how you live. And there's a lot of that in the epistle to Titus. And he has given a message that he is told right up front, here's the purpose for this message. Some other translations put it this way. Uh, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and according to the truth, which is after godliness, now that we're familiar with, but here's another. To stimulate faith in God's chosen or charge to strengthen the faith of God's elect. Now why would that be needed? Why would we need to strengthen the faith of God's elect? God's people, God's chosen. Well, let's be honest. We live in a world that's uh, going the opposite direction. And if you're not careful, you'll find yourself giving them an okay or even walking with them, being influenced. The church around the nation is greatly influenced in these days by the world. Well, in the epistle of Titus, there is much instruction to the people that whom Titus would be speaking. Now the Holy Spirit uses it to speak to us. To strengthen us, to strengthen the faith of our uh, uh, Christian walk. And notice at the beginning in verses 1, 4, 10, and well, one, uh, verse 1, and excuse me, verse 3 and 4 in chapter 1, and verse 10 and 13 in chapter 2, and in chapter 3, verse 4 and 6, there is a repeated reference to Christ our Savior. Well, why would we need that kind of emphasis? Well, because Jesus is on a saving mission. He's on, he came to the earth to what? To seek and to save the lost. Um, it's true that there were times when Jesus was up on the earth that people followed. 5,000 came to eat. But when the bread of life was opened up, they ran away. Uh, if you know anything about sheep, they don't 
follow shepherds without, I mean, they don't, they don't have good guidance on their own. They need a shepherd to guide them. And even some sheepdogs along the way. But, so if Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, which he did, that would tie in quite well with the fact that Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so he assigns us to fish for men. And if you'll think about it, all of the epistles are especially strong in equipping us to do just that. There, there are certain doctrines that we need. There is teaching that we need on how to handle life, and then we can pass that on to others. So in Titus and in the New Testament epistles, there's these repeated themes of sound doctrine, of being called to holiness and purity and love and forgiveness and mercy and good works. There's a strong emphasis in that on every epistle. And why would that be? Well, God's method of evangelizing is not play actors. It's not a movie. It's not some dramatic presentation. It's not uh, somebody who's uh, very impressive with the gift of gab. God's method is living visuals. You and I. There's no place for spectators in the New Testament church. There's a place for pastors and teachers and that sort of thing. But that doesn't mean that they're the only ones who ought to be studying the Bible and being one in whom and through whom Christ can be seen. Well, well, I know this. I have this movie that talks about the gospel. That's not nearly as effective as you living the gospel. The movie is just play acting and it can pull on your emotion strings. You in the crucible of life as it really is, and you draw upon the grace of God to forgive, to love, to bless. That's real stuff. Wow. You mean you're forgiving that person after what they did to you? See, that's a different response than, oh, that was an amazing movie. Oh, uh, actor so-and-so was great. Give me a break. Let's get back to reality. And we need some reality. I remember a guy named Ron Miner. A few of us remember him. He would show up at work, had a good job, and he was not in danger of losing his job. He had his uh, drinking sort of under control, you'd say. But on Monday morning, like so many people, he showed up at work with a hangover. He showed up on a certain Monday morning and didn't have a hangover. He was exuding and excited about Jesus Christ and was happy and rejoicing in Christ and, and meeting everybody with a smile and, and praise the Lord. And, and before the day was out, people were coming to his office. He was personnel manager for the plant and they were coming to his office. What has happened to you? And he could tell them about Jesus. The door was wide open for the gospel because of a life that was being transformed. 
Not a movie, not drama, not an amazing production of music, not a fast-talking evangelist. Oh, if we could just get this evangelist. A certain brother was uh, being devastated by a disease, and people were saying to him, you need to travel to such and such city because this great faith healer is there. And this young man's father wisely said, well, if Jesus wants to heal him, he can heal him right here. And frankly, the faith healer was been shown to be a fake, but masses of people go for the showmanship. But real Christians, when they're squeezed in by life's pressures and trials and tribulations, give forth the fragrance of Christ when we're walking in the Spirit. And we don't always do that, but we need to repent of when we don't. We need to get to the point to where we can confess in reality with the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1.12, all the things that have happened to me have happened for the furtherance of the gospel. I don't see how that can further the gospel. Oh, it's not that. That never furthers the gospel. But your response to it, my response to it furthers the gospel. All the things that have happened to me have happened For the furtherance of the gospel. Not that that thing, not that that bad thing that happened to you furthered the gospel, but your response of trusting, praising, worshiping Jesus, forgiving someone, doing good to them, blessing them. So as you look in chapter 1 of Titus, we're looking at some foundational uh, issues here for the church of Jesus Christ. And so let's read... uh, Verses 5 through 11 in the book of Titus. It says, Ordain elders in every city as I have appointed you. If any be blameless, a husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For the bishop must be blameless, the word bishop, elder, pastor, interchangeable, must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, and not given uh, to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, dishonest gain, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober or serious-minded, just, holy, Temperate, self-controlled, holding fast, holding tight the faithful word as he's been taught, that he may by sound doctrine both exhort and convince the gainsayers or those who oppose the gospel. Well, there are many out there like that. Well, what do you see from that? When the Lord goes looking for people to have servant leadership in the church, he doesn't, he doesn't go looking for a person with the gift of gap. Showman. I've read many uh, statements over the years from pastor search committees who were reporting back to their church. We, we feel like we've found the perfect candidate for our church. And one of the things that's always thrown in there, oh, he has a... He has a great sense of humor. 
Well, you don't have to be down in the mouth, and, but that's not one of the qualifications to be an elder or a pastor. God is looking for transformed lives. Lives that are holy, lives that are pure, lives that can stand up under the pressure. He's, he's calling for holy character. And oh, by the way, all of those things are in other places stated in the scripture for any Christian. You can't go through that list we just read and said, well, I'm glad that's for elders and deacons and I'm, I'm not one of those. And so let me take a nap. You can turn to other verses of the New Testament. and All of those godly character qualities are for any and every Christian. The, those who are going to be set forth as elders or deacons must model it. So, men of this church, ladies of this church, young people of this church, as you look at the God-given standards for elders and deacons, you ought to be pressing forward in these same character traits. If you're a man, God may be preparing you to be an elder or a deacon. But no matter whether you have a title one day or not, you should want to be the best Fisherman for souls that anybody could be. Someone that when people see you in all of the issues of life, they sense something of Jesus. Regardless of whether you are ever raised up as a deacon or an elder. To be godly servants of Jesus Christ. To be trophies of his grace. Showing forth Christ likeness, being living visuals. And so we can learn in these first verses in Titus chapter 1 that the elders and Titus would be sort of in that role, have responsibility to model godliness to the church and to guard the church from rebels and deceivers, which are in the verses that follow it. Verse 10 and 11 of this chapter. For there are many unruly, undisciplined, disorderly uh, people, vain talkers and deceivers, especially of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who need a, one translation says, who need a bit and bridle, who subvert whole houses, teaching things that they ought not to teach, and for filthy lucre's sake, for sordid gain, for, for the sake of money. Now, that's the first century, and we've advanced so far beyond that. No one today in Christendom would ever do something for money. Well, at least Karen doesn't believe that. I don't know about the rest of you. <laughs> One of them, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and slow bellies. Savage brutes, lazy gluttons, hating work. And this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables. And commandments of men. I find also often that people are so excited about fables and 
something that somebody has written more so than the word of God. And he says, unto the pure, things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, having, uh, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work reprobate. So there's a need for elders and deacons. There's a need for the rank and file members of the church to be strong in the faith, to be pure, and to, to be holy, and to be Christ-loving, and to honor Christ Jesus by how we live. The sad reality is that we live in a world where uh, there's a lot of wrong stuff. Notice he's not talking about the wrong stuff in, in just normal pagan society. He's talking about wrong stuff that's being allowed even back in that day in the churches. Uh, Titus is not a clean up America passage. You can get a crowd for that. We want to save America. Well, I'm not against destroying America. But the mission of the church is for the church to be pure and holy and set apart. Be fishers of men. God calls us to go forward in holiness and love and purity and forgiveness. Overflowing, all of course, overflowing from the new birth. In a world of bitterness and anger and resentments, Christian people by the grace of God, have this incredible gift and power and ability to model something that just blows people's mind. Being forgiven and forgiving. And many of us, that's our main struggle. And we, we best get on our faces before God. We best hide God's word in our heart. We best start taking steps of obedient faith and walking all over our feelings. You say, but they don't deserve it. Neither did you and I deserve forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about deserving. It's about walking the steps of Jesus and of loving and blessing and forgiving, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. Ephesians four thirty-two. He said, but again, how does all this relate to mission work and evangelism? In chapter 2, verse 5, the latter part of that says, that the word of God be not blasphemed or maligned or suffer reproach or positively live so as to be a good advertisement for the faith. Verse 8 in chapter 2, our teaching needs to be not only sound, but in a good spirit. So that the adversaries may find nothing to discredit us. How many of you know that the the people of the world out there will jump on anything to be able to try to discredit the gospel? Because that, then I don't need it. You're no different than I am. You're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm as good as a hypocrite down at the church. God's weapon, not because he's against them, but because he wants to transform them, is for you and I. To manifest not only truth, but in a good spirit. And Titus chapter 2 verse 10 talks about adorning the gospel. Beautifying the gospel. Adding luster. Being a living testimonial. 
Yes, we don't add anything to God, but we make him visible by the lives that we live. This is full-time Christian ministry. You say, well, I'm not in full-time Christian service. You're not. Are you trying to say, well, I don't, I don't, I'm not on staff at the church, and I'm not even a deacon, or... If you're not a full-time Christian, you're backslidden. We're all in full-time Christian ministry. What a privilege. Why would that not be a privilege? Doesn't the world need Jesus? Don't they need the ability to forgive, the ability to love? And you and I can model that? What a high calling. And in chapter 3, verse 8, he talks about how that this, is, this life that we're talking about living is beneficial to the world. Um, but verse 7, that being justified by grace, this, this is a faithful saying, and these things I will that you affirm constantly that... They which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Let's go over to First um, Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, for example. Reading from the New Living Translation, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors or your unbelieving spouse or family member. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Well, I've been seeking to do that for years, and I don't see anybody giving honor to God. Well, that's not what it says anyway. Hmm? What did it say? When he judges the world. Just because people are not responding now means nothing. Be faithful now. We plant, we water, he gives increase. There's coming on judgment day. And those who witnessed your godly lifestyle, your forgiving lifestyle, your loving lifestyle, your pure lifestyle, and they rejected your message, and when you tried to share the gospel with them, they turned it off and they falsely accused you. Their view is too short. But don't let yours be too short. Many times we have gotten weary in well-doing because we stopped in our mind the process. The process isn't over until when he judges the world. And that's when, that even if they accuse you of wrongdoing, they may see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Now I'm going to read another scripture in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And I want every man in here to put cotton in your ears. This is not for you. 
And if you ever use these verses against your wife, shame on you. Now, there are verses that wives can use against their husbands. God has never given the word of God for you to use as a, as a weapon. God has given the word of God to speak to us, to transform us. And just be patient, wives. We'll get to the husbands in a minute. Dear women, ladies, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Don't be concerned about outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. Instead of trying to win the argument, instead of trying to expose a wayward husband, make sure that you live and act in such a way that your words and your attitude is precious to God. That's all that matters. This is how godly women made, of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Now all of these lessons are to stimulate faith in real Christians as we are called to give a witness for Christ at home and where we live and among the lost. And again, husbands never, never use the, hey, honey, you ought to be First Peter. I remember pastor had dealt with that. Uh, you ought to listen to that part of the sermon. You can forget the rest of it, but you need that. You're a pagan if you say that. Shame on you. Never use the word of God as a weapon. Whoever you are. Go home and husband, you and I, go home and love your wife as Christ loved the church. Now that's an assignment. Oh, what an assignment that is. It's a huge assignment. You'll need all the grace in the world for that assignment. And you'll be blessed as you walk in the path of that assignment. You'll be walking the steps of Jesus. The issue is not the spiritual condition of your wife. The issue is the spiritual condition of your heart. And are you pleasing to him? If you're pleasing to him, then you'll be full of joy in your heart, just like Jesus was. Now, in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, uh, we, we get to the heart. We're looking into the heart of every redeemed Christian. The inward power that stimulates faith. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. All men without distinction, not just Jews. It can't be every individual because there are many, many people who never heard the name of Jesus. So that, that can't be the right way to look at it. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared not just to Jews, but to all men. Men of every, every tribe, country, and people. And in the Revelation you see that when it comes to those who are saved, 
They come from all of those. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Do you have an inward voice within you when worldly passions and ungodliness is thrust in front of you? Do you have an inward voice that says, no! You don't, you don't need a speech. You just have, you need an inward voice that says, no! You're God's property. You're bought with the blood of Christ. You no longer belong to yourself. Your body should be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's off limits. No. Turn it off. Get some perimeters for your iPhone, whatever. Teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present world. The world doesn't have to change. The world's not going to change. It's getting worse and worse doesn't matter. You have all the resources you need in Christ to be victorious. Because we've got a pretty long vision. Nobody else has. The Holy Spirit is teaching us to say no, to live self-control while we wait for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. We're headed for the biggest wedding there's ever been. The wedding feast of the Lamb. And some of you can probably remember maybe the few weeks before you were going to be married. And boy, your mind and heart was focused. There may have been things that might have gotten your attention, but not during that time. Because you were looking forward to wedding day. And someone came up and offered you this, that, no, I'm getting married. In a far, far greater way, the Christian is waiting for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I was blessed today. I read a post on Facebook of a sweet lady. She said, I've just sat down this past week. I think she just did it in one week and read the entire book of Revelation. Well, a lot of people, when they read it, they say, I don't get nothing from that. That scares me to death. I don't know what that's all about. She got it. She saw that it was all about Jesus. She left reading it being thrilled with Jesus. She left reading it being thrilled with the hope that she have in Jesus. And so should you. And if you haven't got there yet, you need to keep reading Looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, this is God's method. Change lives. Doctrine that relates to life. Christians full of love and forgiveness. Christians full of holiness and purity. Not in perfection, but headed in the right direction. Going forward. Christians enjoying and and excited about good works. This is the platform upon which evangelistic efforts, passing out tracts, 
preaching, teaching, whatever. That's the, this is the platform that makes the track believable. Are we listening? We don't have time for all this here. We're going to skip forward to chapter 3, verse 8, where he says to be careful. Uh, this is a faithful saying in these things. I will that you constantly affirm. It's not a one and done thing. You have to constantly affirm this, that they which have believed in God might be careful, be careful to maintain good works. We're not saved by good works, but save, but good works from saved people are vital. These things are good and profitable unto men, unto the lost world out there. It matters not how bad the world gets. We have a mission. And these things that we've seen from this are profitable to the world out there. And if they don't come to Christ now, when they stand before God in judgment, they'll have to be confronted. You saw the gospel. It was not just that someone preached a message. You saw the gospel. It was lived before you. Your labors in the Lord are never in vain. I sat in a meeting 15 or more years ago and heard a pastor tell, and, and this is maintained, is still true today. Almost every Sunday, that church baptizes converts to Christ. Most of them literally become disciples of Christ. They never have an evangelistic service where they invite lost people and, and get a high-powered evangelist and him get them down the aisle. They don't do that. They seldom have messages from the pulpit that are focused on the lost. They never have revival meetings. They don't have evangelistic crusades. Haven't for years. And yet, people are coming to faith in Christ almost weekly. In fact, the Sunday sermons from the pulpit are much like what you'd read in the epistles. They're designed to minister to the church. Here's who God is. Here's the way of salvation. Here's all the doctrines that relate to salvation. Here is who you are in Christ, and here is how you're to live, to honor him. So the weekly conversions and baptisms are not the fruit of the pulpit, but from the congregation. They go out into the world every week, living out the verbal witness Living out and, and giving verbal witness to the gospel. Cultivating relationships with their neighbors, their co-workers, their family, as they live the gospel. And they give out gospel portions. And they may invite people to a home Bible study or to the church worship. And several years back, as this pastor was sharing this, a particular member invited someone to attend a church service. And 
The man said, no way. I would never attend that church. Why? The most crooked and corrupt lawyer in our city regularly attends that church. So the witnessing church member went to the pastor and said, here's what happened. The following Sunday, the pastor shared about that sad event and exhorted the congregation on their failed witness. And this is not funny. On that Sunday, 28 lawyers publicly repented of their sin before the whole congregation. It's a big church. But they understood the teaching of Titus. They were practicing. They understood that the word of God should not be blasphemed and maligned and brought into reproach by the way we live. How you live as an individual member of this church is important. It's vital. To positively live to be a good advertisement for the Christian faith. He said, I'd love to do that, but my spouse won't cooperate. Has nothing to do with your spouse. Has to do with you. Oh, God needs to work in her life or his life too, but that's not your business. And what they do or don't do has nothing to do with what you're to do. You're to obey God regardless of anybody else does or not. Our teaching needs to not only be sound, but in the good spirit, so that the adversaries can find nothing to discredit. Our lives should adorn the gospel, beautify it. The question you and I have is, will the truth about God and the truth about our Savior be attractive to the lost people in our world this coming week? For some, it might be you've got to go to someone and say, you know, when I did this, that so-and-so, it was wrong, and I never made it right. Will you please forgive me? You know what you've just done? You've just beautified the gospel. You've unleashed it. You've unleashed the beauty of the gospel. Now, what they do with it is between them and God, and it may not be settled until judgment day, but it will bear fruit, if not now on judgment day. You say you never heard the gospel, uh, look at the screen. Remember that person? They came to you and asked for forgiveness. It's beautiful that no one else has to change in order for you to be free, in order for you to be happy, or in order for you to be useful in God's kingdom. We just have to deal with us. That's freeing. Holiness, love, sound doctrine, good works flowing through us, attractive to the lost this week, inviting people this week, worshiping the Lord because he's worthy. Oh, Father, what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have, the precious Lord Jesus Christ. What wonderful truth you've given us in the word of God. To point us in paths of righteousness. To point us in the paths that glorify you. 
the indwelling Holy Spirit to empower us to not only pray the model prayer, but to desire it and to be empowered to walk in it. Our Father, who art in heaven, Lord, we, we want to go forth to hallow your name. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart and the actions of our hands and our speech and everything glorify you and honor you. Father, in the deepening darkness, we are in a perfect time to let the light shine. It's not without pain, but neither is it without success. A person walking in this present world, in your present circumstance, walking and pleasing Jesus and honoring him and his life being manifest through you or I, It's a glorious miracle, a glorious statement of grace. Father, you're about seeking and saving the lost. And you've called us to go out and to fish for men. And Father, we have thought that that means to come on Tuesday night and go and knock on doors. That may be something we should do at some point, but that's not what you're talking about. You're talking about our lives being progressively transformed. When the road is hard and the way is steep and there are not many encouragers around, but you're sufficient. And the calling you've given us is high, it's worthy. And we bless you and praise you that you are building your church. And for this we pray and give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.